0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash holybackboard. Over 180,000 titles to choose from from your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Let's go!
1: All right, everybody, welcome to the 38th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live from Rip City on this Saturday night, and I got my man,
2: Sage, man. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of shocked that you're chilling at your apartment doing this show after that that game that we just witnessed.
1: I mean, it is 1030. I've had about uh, two or three hours to calm down, made sure I took my notes after the game, made sure to watch all of the highlights, even get a, a little bit of grub in my stomach before recording this but it was fun the Blazers they handle business at home moved to 4-0 this postseason in the Rose Garden they knock off the Warriors 120-108 uh, to 108, and after the game it was pretty crunk like ripped you saw old old ladies you saw young fellas little kids dancing chanting cheering they had the music going they had the DJ you know, spinning, all we do is win, this is how we do it. Uh, it was a good time. It might have not have been the loudest crowd uh, over the course of a full 48-minute game, but afterwards, I think Rip City just kind of, you know, just sighed, and, and they knew we weren't going to go down 0-3. They knew there, the brooms were going to get put away, and they shut the Warriors and their fans up at least for a night, and they just let it out. Um, the scene was nuts. I took a lot of pictures, posted a ton of videos to my Snap, and then as we're walking out of the arena by the Memorial Coliseum, my favorite halftime act, uh, the Bucket Boys did, it did mm-hmm. like an impromptu show, which was super dope. Uh, got to tell them how great they were. And then on the walk home in just gorgeous Portland, you see the sunset over the Fremont Bridge. Uh, just amazing. An amazing night. And just enjoy it. Who knows who's going to win the series, who's going to win game four. Enjoy the moment. Live in the moment now. Your Trailblazers are down in the series 2-1, but they are not out.
2: And that was brought to you by Travel Portland. Travel Oregon. Travel Oregon, excuse me. My joke got ruined because I wasn't right. <laughs> uh, they can't all be winners.
1: So, Portland becomes, and this is incredible, shows you how great of a team Golden State is, the first time this year to beat the Warriors twice in a season. I mean, just let that sit in. The Warriors have not been beaten twice by the same opponent in what they're going on 87, 90 games. 90 games. Portland's first team to do that. And uh, I think it starts and ends with the man, the myth, the legend, Damian Lillard. Sage, this guy is, I I don't even know. I'm running out of words to describe him. That's what I can think. He's an assassin. He's cold-blooded. Uh, Just ice water in his veins. Already, I believe, a top five trailblazer of all time. And he continues to haunt the Warriors in their night, in their dreams. Uh, he goes off for 40 points. Very efficient. 14 of 27 from the field. Eight threes, uh, gets in the line four times, knocks them all down. Even more importantly, finds time to hand out 10 assists to his teammates and grabs five rebounds. Uh, he was the first Blazer since Clyde in 92 to have a 40-10 and 10 game uh, in the playoffs. And this is his third straight 40-plus point game at home against the Warriors. I believe he's averaging something like 43 points per game in Grip City this year against Golden State. Just absolutely incredible. And I was thinking, is this what it feels like to be a Warrior fan when you have Steph Curry? His Dame was hitting some tough shots, but at the end of the day, Steph hits those same shots, so it is just nice to have a player who rises to the occasion, and you can throw two, three guys at him. When he's in the zone, it's over.
2: It's crazy to see the amount of skill he has that his touch is just perfect. Because you see players like Tyreek Evans, Alfred Gamino, but they they have such high variance in if the shot goes in. But it seems like Dame has such control over himself and over his shot. It's just, it, when he's hot like that, it's just magic to watch.
1: And I, it all comes down to his work ethic. Um, Rick Bucher of Leisure Report had a long form article uh, about Damien Lillard that he published. I believe it was yesterday. And, and I read it and it goes into detail about his summer tour in China. He's doing a lot of promotional work for Adidas. And Adidas said that Dame Lillard was the only athlete they've ever had where they've had to rent out a gym for him to get his work in every single day that he was there. His assistant coach at Weaver State accompanied him and threatened to fly home early if Dame did not take at least one day off, which he did. And then we saw the, the fruits of that labor start to, you know, come together when he brought the team down in San Diego to Bond and that laid kind of like the groundwork for this season. And it just goes to show how lucky we are to have Damian Lillard as a Trailblazer, both on and off the court, his leadership, his shot-making ability, his unselfishness. Uh, Just enjoy what we have right now with game because he is something special.
2: I was celebrating when you said his trip to China, and I hurt myself.
1: (laughs) And I am shocked that the Blazers won this game. If you would have told me, so you would have said, Klay Thompson gets 18 points, four trays in quarter one. I would have said, you know, there's just no way. Portland has not had success this season when Clay has just went off. Um He did end up with 35 on, you know, 14 of 28 shooting only, but he only had one more three-pointer through the rest of the three quarters, and he did nothing else. He had one rebound and one assist. I think the Blazers did a great job of limiting his looks a little bit better in the, you know, the second through fourth quarters and they just weathered that storm. And Draymond Green said something to, to the likes of, I, I saw the Portland had doubt in their eyes and the only reason they kept playing is because we weren't up by more after quarter one. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that at all.
2: I, I'm starting to think that this is totally off topic. And I know it is. I'm starting to worry about Buddy Heald that he will have those type of games where it's twenty eight points and nothing else. Do you start... are you that's, I'm I definitely think that he's gonna be one of those guys that just scores and plays okay. And
1: that, that's, that's really Clay Thompson this yeah. whole year yeah. though. Um he's never been known as a distributor, as a facilitator, or a rebounder. He's just one of the best shooters. Shooters in the game and you can make a great living doing that and there's no defense for a three point shot. Uh, what Portland, what I hope the officials do when they go back and look at this game, because they, they go back and look, they need to start calling some moving screens because I was watching the highlights in two of plays, threes. You've got Harrison Barnes and Draymond sticking their ass out, moving. You can't defend a player when you can't get around to him. Mm-hmm. And that's what CJ said after game one. You know, they're just not calling them and they've gotten away with it all, all, all year long, but. It's an illegal play, and it needs to be called the correct way because he only needs a sliver of space to get his shot off, and he's going to make it more times than not. So let's level the playing field a bit and call them for some moving screens because I don't know if they were called for one, maybe one all game long.
2: Yeah, I I know that they do moving screens, but I didn't see a call for it.
1: Yeah, but I thought the Trailblazers did a great job giving the, the, the Warriors big two Draymond Green and Clay Thompson, everything they wanted, but they, they, they closed off the gates to everybody else. Only Barbosa, who had 10 points, was the only Warrior outside of their Big Two with the double-digit scoring. That is huge. That, the Warriors are the quintessential team. They thrive off of one another. They thrive off of assists. And when one gets going, it seems like it's a domino effect in from the first guy to the, you know, the 13th guy. They yeah. all start clicking and. I think Portland can beat the Warriors without Steph Curry if you allow Dre and Claymon. <laughs> Claymon. Yep, yep. Nope.
2: We're keeping that.
1: Yeah. If you, if you allow Claymond to get, what do they have? 72? 72, 72 of the 108. I, I think Portland will take that. Uh, it's probably, you probably want to play a little bit better defense on those three pointers, uh, by oh, Draymond. And Davis needs to close out on him a little bit.
2: Just that sag. He, he sagged back way too much and there was so much room for him to cover And it was like, Three straight three pointers where Draymond got his confidence. He was comfortable, and then that confidence was there for the rest
1: of the game because
2: he took some shots that were absolutely horrendous,
1: but they went in because he was feeling himself. Didn't he have some like six threes in the third quarter?
2: Yeah, well, four of them were those wide open Ed Davis sagbacks.
1: Yeah, you know he he had a monster night. He finished with thirty seven on thirteen and twenty three shooting, uh, eight of twelve from deep and uh, the you know, obvious Draymond line near triple-double adds nine boards and eight assists. So he's played fantastic, even without Steph Curry. But again, when you hold guys like Harrison Barnes to seven points on eight shots, Andrew Bogut to six points and eight rebounds, uh, Sean Livingston was supremely quiet, just five points, Iguodala, one point, uh, you will live with that. Festus Ezeli, the Game 2 hero, only plays six minutes, doesn't attempt a shot. I mean, Portland did a great job, especially getting Bogut in foul trouble. The Warriors went small. Portland can play small with you. Mm -hmm. It was when Bogut in Game Two and Game One. He was just even when he was not in foul trouble in Game One, he was causing a lot of problems, keeping balls alive and giving them extra possessions, which you do not want if you're, you know, on the opposing end against these Warriors. You want to limit as many opportunities as they have at the basket as possible.
2: Yeah, and people say that he is a bad offensive player. But if you just watch what Bogut does offensively, yeah, he can't shoot really well. But my God, what a passer!
1: Great passer, uh, good pick setter. Whether they're you know of the illegal variety or not, uh, he still is known for that. And he's a pretty dang good defender as well.
2: And I mean, that he actually has a lot of desire for those rebounds. He's he's in there fighting like a like a dude fighting for his. Contracts. He's he's pretty he's good on the contract, but he's fighting. Yeah. You gotta respect that part of this game.
1: One player we have to call out. Oh good. Alpha Al- Al- Rupa is
2: Oh I thought we were talking I thought we were gonna call out in the negative play.
1: Oh no, we gotta call out in the positive play. Okay, way. all right we're he made Golden State pay, he hits his first eight shots, uh twenty three points for the Chief, uh eight of nine shooting, four or five from downtown, all three free throws, money in the bank. And he adds in 10 boards. He has had a monster, monster series against these Warriors. Been that third score the Blazers have been dying for. Over the course of these three games, if you would have said Al Perucamini was going to score 17.3 points on 59% shooting, 56 from the three-point line, give you 6.7 boards and 1.3 blocks, you say,
2: no. no you're,
1: you're you're on that mary jane that's now legal in oregon dustin i mean that's what you're saying because nobody (laughs) would have expected that on that Cliff robinson oh yeah on that uncle slippy
2: oh man shout out to
1: him but another genius find by neil olshay this is a guy making just seven million dollars a year every team decided to pass on him and he's a great shooter at home i mean he's done that throughout the road too i mean he like i said 10 of 18 from deep this series, and he had a huge game four against the Clippers. Uh He got off to a little bit of a rough start in that Clipper series, but I think after that game four, the Chief really has arrived.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's high variance shooting between for him, man. Sometimes he'll will play like this, and other times he's really not there, or he misses eight three-pointers, but... This game, you gotta call him out for how well he played. It was this, this, great this defense, series,
1: though. Sage, this series, though, is he's played fantastic. Fair enough, but I'll give you the high variance in the the performances against the Clippers. But in these three games, outside of Lillard, he's been our second best player.
2: Yeah, but I mean, you've seen you've seen three games in a row where players play well. It's all about if he can if he can become consistent with it. That, then we found like a real player and the, the consistency factor with
1: him. Yeah. I'm just trying to call out the fact that he's oh, we played mar- marvelous. three awesome games and I, I still think he's underrated in terms of Portland fans. I, I don't think people appreciate just what he gives this team. And yeah, game four, he might go out and throw out, throw out a clunker. That, that wouldn't surprise me at all, but it wouldn't surprise me if he continues this hot play because he did this last year with the Mavericks against the Rockets and he shoots well at home. If they're going to continue to, to blitz Dame or try to double him at least and get the ball out of his hands, uh, Portland's going to get the ball into the middle, whether it's Plumlee or Davis, and they're going to be shooters lined up in those corners. You got Henderson, Crabb, Parkless, and Aminu. They have shown they will make that shot. So pick your poison, Golden State.
2: So are we going to talk about Plumlee or?
1: I mean, that's, if you're looking for, A downside a negative light in this game or this series it it has to be Mason Plumlee he's he's looked shook and I've seen other writers on Twitter mention that same thing he's seven feet tall hops for days for a big man and he continues to go at the rim with this weak shit he needs to quit trying to lay it up and finesse the ball in I don't care if you get an offensive foul or you extend your arm. You need to pack it in a warrior face at least once and just throw it down. He needs that just one momentum play to get his confidence back because he is absolutely killing us right now in this series. And I I like Mason Plumlee. Without him, we're not in this, this series. Uh, he was fantastic against the Clippers. That That being said... He needs to play better. And, uh, I was very proud of Terry Stotts for not giving him prolonged minutes tonight. He just plays 17 and a half while Ed Davis gets, uh, 29 and a half minutes.
2: I mean, it's like on 2K. I hate relating actual basketball to 2K, but it's like, did you forget to enable all your dunks, man? Cause it's just power layup, power layup, power layup. You're seven feet tall. You gotta dunk it sometimes, bro.
1: I mean, or you've gotta just convert when you're getting. Five points on two of six shooting, seven boards, and two assists. Those numbers don't sound too bad, but if you're watching the game, he's just not having an impact. Uh, For this series, he's been a complete uh, no-show, unfortunately. He's just averaging four points. This is what really hurts. 21% shooting from the field. He is getting a 10-rebound average, which is nice, but he hasn't been consistent at the line. 50% shooting and what he does well, passing, he's got four assists, but he's committing three turnovers a night, so he's almost negating every assist with a turnover, and the Blazers either need to move on more publicly, like they did in Game 3, and limit his minutes, or he's going to have to find some magic elixir that gives him his confidence back, because Golden State is giving the big man the drive on the pick and roll, and if he can't convert, he, he's got to sit. I mean, that's just. The tough love, the no ifs, ands, or buts about that one.
2: But we love Mason Plumley. I would never want to trade him for something. The Warriors defense is different than the Clippers. With the yeah, Clippers, he can do his
1: strength. Yeah, it's a, you're completely right. So I didn't mean to jump in, but you're completely right. It is a completely different series. The way the Clippers played our, our guards allowed for Mason Plumley to operate with his passing. The Warriors aren't. They're saying, hey, we want you to drive the ball as a big, the traditional pick and roll way, which Ed Davis is much more suited for, as we saw in the regular season. Uh, yeah. this, this series just plays to Ed's strengths, and there's nothing wrong with that.
2: Yeah, absolutely not. But the, it's just, he doesn't have the room that he likes to operate in, in that mid-post. And I, I think the Warriors know that this dude likes to pass, so they're making him try and be more aggressive scoring, and he just isn't really willing to do that right now.
1: And, and also, Golden State just has much better bigs. Yeah. The Clippers, and have, the Clippers have DeAndre Jordan. Well, okay. The Warriors have Draymond Green, Festus Azili, Andrew Bogut. You know, those are three really good defensive bigs and they're big bodies. Mm-hmm. So you go from just DeAndre to those three. Add everything else up. We're talking about it's not a great recipe for success for Mason Plumley in this series, but. The beauty of this Blazer team is it is a team, and you've got a guy like Ed Davis who Terry Stotts can call on. And this is the Ed Davis I kind of expected in the first round, the one we saw all 82 games in the regular season. Uh, eight points, very efficient, 3 of 5 from the field, uh, 10 boards in 30 minutes. Um, for this series, he has just been a breath of fresh air. You look at the 71% from the foul line. They hacked him. They did the intentional foul, I believe, in the third quarter. Palmley goes down to the foul line, knocks them both in. He's getting a block a night, seven, seven and seven on like seventy percent shooting. If that can continue to give us that, you will take that and run because I, I, I even think he can play a little bit better on the offensive end. You see sixty nine percent. I think he's he's missed a couple that he would like to have back.
2: And mm. I, I mean, it, it, it's just the defense is set up for him to have more success. And I'm glad to see that he has his confidence back. He just has to stay on Draymond on those pick and pops.
1: I'll be super happy. Yeah, he isn't the most mobile defender out on the perimeter, which is is tough. And that's one thing you have to every if you're Terry Stotts, because you need a big guy out there. And he does is effective on the offensive end, but you do give up a little bit of you do give up a little bit on the defensive side of the ball, especially going up against a versatile player like Draymond Green, who has the ability to put the ball on the floor and is the, you know, quintessential triple threat player. He can drill, pass, or shoot out of any position on, on the floor.
2: It's unfortunate that he has to guard up, guard him, but it's just, you gotta be in your, his face a little bit tighter. Or, no, a, a lot tighter, because there was some wide open shots that even Myers Leonard would pass up.
1: Yeah, you, you know, you talk about the three point shooting. It was, and we previewed this. Uh, in a game earlier this year, the Blazers and Warriors combined for the most three-point attempts, I think, in NBA history. Well, it was no different. Right? There were more three-point attempts than free-throw attempts. And this game wasn't just, oh, Portland got red-hot for three. Golden State hit their fair share as well. Uh, the Warriors went 14 of 29, 48%. Portland was just a little bit better, a little bit hotter. And we have two teams in the Elite Eight of the NBA playoffs, that's gonna happen. Portland goes 17 of 30. And man, those threes we hit in the second half were just so sweet. The crowd got into it. There was one when Gerald was in the corner. I thought the Warriors should have been called for a technical foul because they were right in his backside. Like they their their feet were behind the line, but they were leaning forward so much their body was in the the field or excuse me on the court, mm. court for the play. You know, he still turned around, knocked it down, gave him a little business afterwards, but that needs to be a technical. I'm all for like you standing up and maybe saying something, but the moment you lean in and could be possibly a part of a play, we saw that with the Clippers. I believe it was game one or game two when they got a technical for, um, interfering with the inbounds play down by their bench. So that's something the NBA needs to look at because that's, again, not safe. Gerald's not expecting anybody behind him. You know, he's expecting voices, but not, not any bodies. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, that fourth quarter, man, like, the Warriors hit us with their best shot, and we just were able to fight back on those three-pointers. And Dame and CJ were just hitting,
1: and it was beautiful. And I made— The best part about that fourth quarter is the Warriors, they were down by 20. They go seventh straight, and they get it down to 13. It's exactly six minutes left on the clock. There was a gentleman to my left who started, you know, who's in his Warriors gear. He started to Maybe. chirp. You can hear the crowd, the Warrior fans at least get a little excited. And, you know, I you know, I kind of see, like, where in the hell have you been all game? Like, I'm cheering win or lose my team, no matter how well they're playing. Don't just start talking, running your mouth when your team hits a couple threes. And I that point, I was like, scoreboard, you know? And he's like, you know, he said something back. And I was like, you're going to be quiet soon. And as soon as I said that, you know, our Blazers came back and finished him and, Saw a few Warrior fans leave early. It was nice to, to wave at him, tell him goodbye. Thank you for stopping by.
2: I still have nightmares about uh, Moda Center when I wear Pelicans gear. So I, I at least I'm loud the entire game rooting for the, one of my two teams. But, yeah, I mean, if you're just going to be quiet for most of the game, but when your team's doing well, you, you chirp up, that's some bitch shit.
1: Yeah, it was, I wasn't having any of it. I was thankful there weren't too many Warrior fans. It felt almost like a regular season Laker game back when, not this year, because there was a lot for Kobe's last game, but, you know, throughout the years when Kobe would show up, you know, you would, you would hear the Laker fans there. I thought actual Laker fans, uh, came in more droves. So I think really restricting that area code access or zip code access to non-California residents was pretty genius by the Blazers. So you, Probably only got the Warrior fans that were based in, in the state. And we kept them quiet. The, the crowd. I'm expecting a, a, a more raucous crowd for game four. I think they were a little tentative, especially after that, that game two defeat. And even though you've done it once before, it's still tough to come back 0-2. And it's always hard to get that first one. But once you get that game three, you're like, okay, we're back in this. And I'm expecting a, a louder, a noisier crowd because we're going to need it. Our team just feeds off of it.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, those, those those French players play better at uh, home than as opposed to uh, on the road. I mean, and the refs should be more favorative. So, I mean, home court is a huge advantage in a lot of different ways.
1: Yeah, the French players, you hit that right, uh, the nail on the head. Portland gets 27 bench points to Golden State's 18. You're talking about going up against the best bench in the entire NBA, arguably. And the Blazers hold them to 18 points and they outscore them that's been a bugaboo for the Blazers this whole postseason is getting production from their bench. But when you get guys like Henderson getting eight, Crab got ten, we talked about Davis getting eight, and it's, it just injects so much good vibes into your team when you're not just relying on one or two players to get it done. You know this is a, a collaborative effort, and if I pass him the ball or he passes me the ball, the shot is going to go in. The trust with your teammates only intensifies when everyone starts hitting, you know, shots.
2: How do you feel about Brian Roberts making more of an appearance this game?
1: I mean, he only played, you know, six minutes. I I don't mind it. Seriously, he
2: only played six minutes?
1: Only six minutes. Now, a lot of that had to do with Maurice Harkless, who apparently did something to his his left quad or left hip. In game two, (laughs) he gave Coach Stops credit for... Limiting his time tonight. He only played six and a half minutes. He said he looked slow out there. He said if it was up to him, he would be playing in game four. Hopefully that is the case because we'll need, uh, money, Mo to knock down some shots and play that good defense on Clay Thompson that we know he's capable of. But I think that's really why Roberts got, got that PT.
2: Cause I visually, rem- I, I remember Brian Roberts mishandling a pass. And it going oh, yeah. out of bounds. So that's like the main thing I remember. And when you think that, you just assume that it was a negative uh, performance from him. But if I mean, it was he, only six minutes,
1: it's... He didn't do a whole lot. You know, he he went one of two from the foul line. Missed his only shot he took. He was a plus two overall. Boom! So positive impact on the game.
2: Yeah.
1: But, <laughs> you know, I think he, if he plays again, I think he might be good for one or two mid-range shots. That's, that's really what he's... That's his. That's in his repertoire.
2: And that's that's his so that's role.
1: His what else stood out to you about this game, Sage? Anything in particular?
2: I I just thought it was a very entertaining game. The things that irritated me was the pick and roll, the de- pick and pop defense. Other than that, I, it was a really enjoyable game. It got me on the edge of my seat. What what stood out to you?
1: Um, a couple things. Points in the paint, I thought the Blazers did a good job of limiting that differential. Golden State gets 40, but Portland gets 34. Portland's not known for getting buckets in the paint, especially without a true back-to-the-basket player. So anytime you can keep that differential within 10 points, you take that as a win as a Trailblazer fan. Turnovers. Portland won the turnover battle. They forced 12 Warrior turnovers. They only coughed it up 10 times themselves. If you're taking care of the ball and not throwing away possessions against Golden State, you're going to be in good shape because you're going to need to score 115, 125 points to beat this team. You have to win, you have to win a shootout. You can't grit and grind your way to the three against this team. Fast break points. Portland, eight to two. Not a huge advantage, but the Blazers have done an amazing job this postseason of limiting two good running teams. To only limiting them to just half court opportunities. And that's really key. I think that speaks to how well they're keeping care or how well they're taking care of the basketball, how well they're getting back in the transition defense, because that has been an issue for them in the past. And lastly, they were aggressive, man. They won the game at the free throw line. You want to say, yeah, you took 33s, but they still attacked and attacked and attacked. They go uh twenty-three of twenty-nine, which is seventy-nine percent, and Golden State just goes ten of seventeen. Which is 59%. They outscored Golden State by 13 points at the free throw line. Portland wins the game by 12. Boom. Ball game. Right Mm -hmm. there.
2: I I thought that Golden State for most of this game was pretty undisciplined. And that helped the Blazers with when they, uh, they committed like silly, unforced turnovers or fouled in really bad situations like that Alan Kraft
1: shot. He definitely fouled a couple jump shooters. Yeah. But what do you make about Draymond Green saying it's more on them that they lost the game? And it, it, he always seems to say that. No matter what team beats them, it's, oh, it's always on us. At what point, why don't you just give credit to the opponent? Uh, he sounds extremely salty, comes off supremely arrogant, and he's just not a good look. Even the greats know how to give credit to the opposition. You can say... Hey, you know, we didn't play our best game, but they really took it to us, or they played more aggressive, you know, as you can see by the free throws. Um, Dame was a handful. I'm I'm thankful our guys don't do that. And it's just it's not a good look. But it doesn't surprise me coming from Draymond. I really don't care, but <laughs> I honestly thank him for that because it's more motivation. more motivation. Exactly. High five.
0: For the listeners of the Holy Backboard Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day free trial to give you an opportunity to check out their service. Dustin and I talk about The Breaks of the Game, and it's one of the best books we've ever read. It is available on audible.com. I'm currently listening to it. It is really, really interesting. It's about the 7980 Portland Trailblazers. So if you want to listen to that or any of the other books that they have, They have so many options to choose from, so if you want to listen to the breaks of the game or anything else, get your free download at Audible today. Go to audibletrial.com slash holybackboard. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash holybackboard for your free audiobook.
2: About the breaks of the game, that uh, book about the 78, 79 Blazers. Okay. Yeah, it's a good book. Really good
1: book. Have you read it?
2: I have it on Audible, and I've listened to it the last week. It's really good, well
1: well written. Yeah, I read that book last summer.
2: It was, it's a good book, right?
1: It's depressing book, but, but it's good. But it makes it's kind, of, it's kind of cool how it also shows how the NBA progressed into like super mega marketing machine that it is. How CBS really gave them their first big break because the Blazers in '77, those finals were on take delay. A lot, I mean, until Magic and Bird came into the league, the NBA was an afterthought. It was all NFL, all MLB. And now you look today, I can, I watched the Thunder and Spurs game on my smartphone in my bedroom on, on Watch ESPNF. That, that's insane to me. Uh, but you know, just like 30 years ago, you weren't even getting the live finals games. Um, so that was actually really interesting part of the book. Uh, But pretty depressing if you're a Blazer fan because they all went downhill from that time period after we won that 77 title.
2: It was pretty crazy that you had, well, obviously I had no idea about the 77 team, but it was pretty cool that you, pretty crazy that you had Moses Malone on that bench and traded him.
1: Gave away Moses Malone. You know, people don't realize that the Blazers, nope, not only did we pass on Kevin Durant, and did we pass on Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley and didn't win the coin flip to get Keem Olajuwon, we had Moses, a King Malone, a future Hall of Famer, who we could have signed. He was signed, practiced with the team for like a day, and like, nah, we don't need you. <laughs> the amount of great players Portland has just let slip through their hands is unremarkable.
2: Well, welcome to the read that I will do late after... Cause that was good. That was good, man.
1: Let's let's answer. I think let's it's it's mail time. So I All think right. we got a fan question from obviously long story longer. Oh, I mean, our yeah. favorite <laughs> She's
2: awesome. I, I I really love her.
1: So she says, "Did I already ask this thoughts on guys with low free throw percentage? Do I need to let that go?" It makes me crazy. I then asked her to elaborate. Like, who is she talking about? Which players in 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 particular? She says, uh, I guess I'm thinking Ed and Mason. Mace has definitely improved when, um, but when we miss, I just feel like I hope that they're doing a thousand a day in practice. I, I think free throws are more difficult than we make it out to be. I don't think anybody should be as bad as DeAndre Jordan or Andre Drummond, but I, don't, I, I think accepting guys to shoot 85% plus is it, tough. It mm. takes a lot of mental Ability, a lot of focus, a lot of muscle memory to go up there and calmly hit those shots because it's some of the hardest shots you have to take are the ones that are wide open and you're no more open than you are at the free throw line. Sometimes with 20,000 fans yelling and screaming, hoping you do nothing more than miss that shot. I mean, in terms of the Blazers, I think Plumlee is just struggling. And in terms of all players, if the rest of your game is struggling, when you go to the charity stripe, normally that's going to follow and su- struggle as well. We've seen Mason Plumman this year. He started out just terrible. I was about ready to pull my hair out watching him every time at the line. He worked with, um, what's his name? Jay Triano, I believe, one of the assistant coaches, and he became very reliable. He's one of our more reliable free throw shooters. But as he struggles in the postseason, that's going to affect his free throws. Ed Davis, I think he's just, you know, your quintessential. I've said that word too many times. I'm sorry. He is just. The Ed Davis is the stereotypical 50-50 guy at the line. He, mm-hmm. He'll either make it or miss it, and you can flip a coin. The only time I feel like he's really confident at the, at the line is when teams intentionally foul him. I feel like he does a great job of knocking those down, almost like he's got an extra chip on his shoulder. So if he could take that focus into the free throws, I think he'd be better, but uh what are your thoughts, Sage? I, I think it's just...
2: I think it's confidence. I am positive that those dudes shoot free throws all the time in practice. It's just different in the game scenario. In game scenarios, there's that added pressure you can't get in practice. And sometimes those shots don't go in. I know in New Orleans with Austin Rivers, he practices free throws all practice and still was awful in game. So sometimes it's just the pressure and going from practice to game is a pretty big deal, especially in the playoffs. I'm just happy Mason Plumley made those free throws at the end of game six.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're completely correct. And the ES, even ESPN announcers were showing footage of DeAndre Jordan when he was in Portland pregame before anybody was in the arena shooting free throws, and they said that he was making them and knocking them down. But to your point, it is such a different environment and setting game versus practice. It is night and day is the best way I can put it.
2: I'm trying to think, in your time with the Trailblazers, was there a guy that just couldn't hit his free throws? And did you just see him practicing in the in the the practice uh arena all the uh, time?
1: I didn't really cover practice too much. Oh. That was more casey. Uh Chris Billow was a pretty terrible free throw shooter when we got him, but he turned into a pretty reliable guy. Um there are always cases, but I don't think we've ever had a guy as bad as like DeAndre or um, Drummond, any anywhere near historically terrible off the line. Yeah, I mean, Mason when players come to Portland; they actually feels like they get better. Because Mason was his, statistically he was terrible last year, and that was a big scare for me. But you know, he's pretty reliable now.
2: I mean, hey, it's the playoffs; there's that added pressure. <laughs>
1: All right, Sage, as we move to Game 4, there will be a Game 5. How important is this for Portland, confidence-wise, with or without Steph Curry, to get this victory and make it a best of three? We're not talking about winning the series, but just the confidence this young team has to say, hey, one, we're not down 0-3, and two, we can beat you at our gym anytime, anywhere, anyplace. Extremely
2: important for us to protect our court. It's extremely important, man. Um,
1: what do we have to do to do that on Monday night?
2: I think we have to have. I, I feel like the Blazers this game had more desire for those 50 50 balls, more fundamentally sound. I think we have to be more hungry and more fundamentally sound to win this game and. The way you do that is make sure you're not doing any lazy stuff, like those lazy passes our guards get sometimes in clutch moments. It's all about just being concise with what you're doing on the basketball court. And if we do that and the fans rock it like they did tonight, I think we'll get that win. And it's imperative to win because you don't want to go to the Warriors and have to beat them twice if you're trying to win the series.
1: Yeah. For me, there is going to be a momentum quarter in Game 4. Whichever team wins that will win the game. You look at Game 1, Golden State outscores us by 20 in the first quarter. The rest of the game, Portland's actually a plus 8. Go to Game 2. For the first three quarters, Portland's a plus 11, but then they, Golden State goes up 22 in just Game 4. Game 3 was more of the same. If you take just Game or Quarter 2, second quarter, Portland outscored them. 36-18, to they doubled them up. They had that momentum quarter. Golden State actually outscored us by six the rest of the game. Which team is going to have that big quarter? Can, Can it be the Trailblazers? And if so, I think they'll win the series. Because this, when you play the Warriors, it's such a sporadic game. With runs by each team, both teams can knock down shots. They can score in bunches. Deadly out of timeouts. Just offense overflowing. And... The Blazers have to make sure they're the ones that get it clicking, especially at home in front of the fans, because once you get those fans behind you, it's so difficult for the opposing team to get composed and regroup. So that's going to be my key. Can the Blazers win that momentum quarter? Second, and maybe just as important, Portland's got to get C.G. McCollum going. Uh, He does pitch in 22 points tonight in Game 3. Uh, almost 50% shooting, but he's been struggled mightily um, from the three-point line. He goes just 1 of 5. Well, he does get 5 boards and 4 assists, but for the series, he's shooting 41% from the field and 14% from three. He's just 2 of 14 uh from the three-point line, getting 19 points a night. He needs to be up more towards 24, 25 points and connecting on about 40 to 50% of his threes. Like Aminu, like Lillard, we just need a little bit more from CJ because the Blazers, even though they're going against the Warriors, maybe with Curry, maybe without, they're going to need those that, that at least that big three which they got for Game Three when you've got you know Aminu and CJ and Dame. We can just get a little bit more from McCollum, I think we'll be set.
2: Can we talk about if do we think the Cur- Curry's will play? No, okay. go for it, bud. I think it would be smart for them to hold him out just because that is the best offensive weapon we've in our life that we've seen in our lifetimes. You've got to be safe with him, but I, I don't want him to play in game four. I want him to be 100% that need to be all good to go. I don't want added risk on him. What do you think about that? Do you think he'll play?
1: I think it's probably 60-40 in favor of him not playing. However, that is at 11-11. Hey, make a wish. Make a wish for a uh, Trailblazers victory in game four on Saturday night. I think, I don't think that the outcome had too much to do with it. Obviously, if Golden State would have won tonight, there's no chance he plays in game four. Steve Kerr's a smart man. He knows the Trailblazers are tough to beat at home. However, he knows Steph Curry's health is way bigger than the, any game, any series. Uh, this is for the long haul. I think you have to stick with what the doctor said, and that is a two-week reevaluation, which would be Monday. Uh, he hasn't gone through a full practice yet. He's only going up against coaches in two-on-two settings. Practice is much different than a game. You've got to figure he doesn't have his legs back in, in basketball shape. It's been like almost three weeks, maybe since he's played a... He hasn't, he hasn't actually even played a full game since game one of that, of the playoffs. Uh, against the rockets he's been in and out of the lineup and then he missed a a few games so i don't think he should play unless he's 100 percent healthy will it be on on monday i don't know i'm not a doctor i don't know steph curry's knee the valuation but it can't be 99.99 it has to be 100 when you're talking about a player as valuable as curry and if he does play portland needs to go at him like make him work on defense he's going to be winded uh Harass him on offense. Make sure you're not letting him get the ball as much as possible. Uh, if you're defending, if he's defending you, run him off of screens. Just tire him out as much as you can because he's not going to be in basketball shape just yet. You're, what were you saying, Sage?
2: What are you going to do for your Mother's Day tomorrow?
1: I uh, just visit Olga's folks in the morning and my folks in the evening.
2: A lot of driving, though, huh? Yeah. Nice. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to cook a lot of barbecue in the next 24 hours.
1: Hey, we're barbecuing too.
2: Nice. And we're going to get some brisket, ribs, uh smoked chicken, and then I'm going to try and make this. It's like Asian birthday cake. Basically, it's a sponge cake mixed with taro,
1: fruit, and then another layer of sponge cake. That's what I'm doing for my mama tomorrow. Have you made it before? Nope. Good luck, my dude.
2: I don't, I'm not the best baker, but, uh, I really want this dessert.
1: <laughs> baking is tough. Yeah. I mean, speaking of just, just cooking a little off-top, baking is hella tough. Yeah, it's extremely tough. Except cheesecake. I'm pretty good at cheesecake. Everything else, uh, I'm getting store-bought or going out to a nice restaurant for.
2: Well, I mean, even in Portland, I don't, there, uh, there aren't that many Chinese bakeries in Portland, are there?
1: No, yeah. the Chinese food scene in Portland's pretty weak. The one decent place, Lucky Strike, is actually closing for a time being, yeah. uh, which which I took you to before the Run the Jewels concert. So that's pretty sad. A lot of Thai places, which is nice. I do love Thai food, but in terms of Chinese food, uh the Portland Portland food scene is fantastic, but it lacks great Mexican and great Chinese. There's some good burrito spots, but not just great Mexican that I've that I've experienced yet. So I'm hopeful. There are some. If you've got some recommendations, let us know in the comments.
2: Oh, uh, another thing for the listeners. I am going to buy a Portland Trailblazers jersey. Let let us know which player you think I should buy. What color do you want, Sage? It, it has to be black or red, man. I can't wear white. I'm so messy.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're... you're <laughs> that, <laughs> that would be just asking to go to the dry cleaning <laughs> on a daily basis.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it's it's it, it's it's gonna be black or red, one of those
1: two. You gotta get a swingman too. You gotta step up and get that. No
2: way, man! It doesn't feel right.
1: Yeah, it does. You can't get that replica.
2: I'm getting that replica. There's, unless you're unless you're putting some money in, I'm getting that replica.
1: Olga is shaking her head decisively, saying, "I'm not taking to the game if you're wearing a replica jersey."
2: <laughs> I wore Michelin Nest. The exactly, Do you <laughs> wear
1: Michelin Nest. You can fork out for a swingman jersey, my dude.
2: I might, but, uh, yeah, what player, and what, it, it, yeah, what, what player? I'm, it's either black or red, whatever one's, what I'm feeling
1: at the time, but. Can I throw my two cents into the ring? Sure. I think you should go red. Uh huh. And I, I would go Dame or CJ just because those are the two. Yeah, a lot of people are going to have that jersey, but you want a player who's going to be on the team for a while, and those two have the best shot at being around for the long haul.
2: Fair enough. Definitely, those are
1: two good choices. All right, Sage, moving to game four. Oh, God, we got to talk about real stuff. Well, so we already thing. took the or expect. expected, but final verdict. Who do you have winning and uh, why? I have, uh oh,
2: man. You know what? I, I think the Trailblazers will win. Because that they they saw that they could do it on their home court, it was very clear in their minds, and I think that team's too young not to give it their all. So screw
1: it, let's do it.
2: They got the championship, they have that. Yeah, chip that on their that's shoulder.
1: that's my train of thought too. It, just Blazers, they play well at home. The fans are going to be loud. Dame destroys this Warriors team at home uh both offensively and by facilitating just that they got to find a way to force a game six. And that would be that, that that would be winning for this trailblazer fan. If you can force the defending champs to a sixth game in the second round, when Vegas predicted you to win 26 and a half games, when they don't give Damian Lillard an all-star spot, all these chips that are building up on our shoulder if they could find a way just to force a Game 6, that would be crazy. Because then, Game 6, anything can happen. You could win that, and then you're going to a Game 7, and yeah, your chances might be slim. But still, Game 7, uh, that would that's the ultimate playoff experience. Um, I'm just thrilled with this team right now. Uh, I can't believe... The season we've had, and I would love to keep it going. I know I say this a lot, but like our man Espo said after that game four victory against the Clippers, just enjoy this ride, guys. It's been an amazing one, and let's keep it going because there would be nothing I would rather have than to talk to you guys after Monday night with the Blazers going back to the Bay all tied up at two games apiece. Let's go!